Our 8.30 worship service this morning and every Sunday morning is across the street in the chapel in the sky, and this morning the elevator was broken. And those folks still packed it out up there. They went up the stairs. So I don't know what we need to do in here, but we need to make you work for it more. Something. But it was impressive. It was good stuff. Uh, Our scripture this morning comes from the Revised Common Lectionary from the Gospel Selection. I want to invite you to open the Bibles that you may have brought from home or your pew Bible to page 106 in the New Testament. We're in John chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There, they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our scripture this morning demonstrates three truths about our purpose as individuals and collectively as a church. First, that we have individually and collectively been given unique and precious gifts. Second, that there are right times to put to use the right gifts. And third, that context will dictate when and how we are to deploy these gifts. First, we have each individually and collectively been given precious gifts. Two, that there are right times to deploy right gifts. And third, that context will determine when and how it is appropriate. Now, our story this morning, it it takes place in the small town of Bethany. Now, Bethany was a town that was just east of the holy city of Jerusalem, a little less than two miles. And here in this house in Bethany, east of Jerusalem, we find two sisters, Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus has raised from the dead in this preceding chapter in the book of John. Now, we don't know a whole lot about them or their household, but here is what we can reasonably piece together using scripture and some extra-biblical sources. There are some passages from the Dead Sea Scrolls, specifically from the Temple Scroll, which was the largest scroll found at Qumran. 
And it suggests that, that, that Bethany was a place for the sick and, and possibly a leper colony. You see, in, in this scroll, it indicated that there should be colonies, uh, three, in fact, for the sick that should be located just east of the holy city of Jerusalem to be sure that the sick and unclean did not find their way into the city and that these three colonies should be located just east. So just east of the city, approximately 5,400 feet outside, which puts us right about where Bethany ought to have been. Furthermore, Bethany can be translated as either house of affliction or house of the poor, though biblical scholars debate whether or not that is an appropriate translation. However, the the Gospels mention Mary and Martha a few different times. Interestingly, they never actually mention anything about them having husbands, which is significant in this patriarchal society where we find Jesus. So these women have access to this house, this place that is large enough to entertain and and feed Jesus and his followers, to welcome them in. So perhaps they are independently wealthy. Or, Or perhaps they're running a house for the sick, a hospital or a hospice, perhaps. We can't be sure, but, but what we do know, what we do know is that Mary has a pound of perfume, this pound of, of pure nard, and we can know that this was a precious possession. We later learned that this was valued at about 300 denarii, which is a little unhelpful to us, but let me give you an idea. One denarii was about a day's wage. And so 300 denarii would have been getting close to a year's wages. Now, in 2018, the Census Bureau reported that an average household income in the United States was just over $60,000. So we can reasonably assume that, that this bottle of perfume would have conservatively been valued somewhere between twenty dollars and $40,000. This bottle of perfume, this precious thing. So where did Mary get this? This unwed, um, possibly poor woman who runs a hospital for the sick? Was it a gift? We don't know. Perhaps a wealthy benefactor had donated it for the use of the poor, just as Judas suggests. We can't say for sure how she got it. Maybe she bought it. Maybe she inherited it. What are your precious treasures? What are those things, those possessions that you have? Maybe it's a home. Maybe it's a vehicle. Maybe it's some precious family heirloom that has been handed down generation after generation. Here in the United States, we value working for the things that we have, right? However, a January 2015 article published by Brookings Institution 
uh, an institution that is largely considered to be uh, nonpartisan. Um, it's a public policy think tank. In this article, it stated that an estimated 35 to 45 percent of wealth in the United States is inherited. 35 to 45 percent of wealth in this country is not earned, it is handed down. Friends, that's significant. We're talking about greater than a third, close to a half of all wealth in our country is inherited. And that's not a crime, that's not a bad thing, it's just, it is. It's not something for us to be ashamed of. It's simply the truth. And the same is true, particularly when it comes to the church. What we have here, collectively, has not been the work of any one person. About a month and a half ago, we celebrated our church members who were here for 40 or more plus years. And and there are many of you in here, perhaps, that have had a hand in the church amassing these resources over the course of time. But friends, no one person can begin to claim responsibility for all this. Where are we? If you look out this back window, you're staring at the New River. A mile east of here, you can put your feet in the sand. One block north, and you'll find yourself in the restaurant and uh, luxury shopping district of Fort Lauderdale, surrounded by million-dollar homes. We sit on seven acres of prime real estate. What a gift we've been given. And it is not something to be ashamed of, friends. We have been given this precious gift because of the work of a congregation over more than a century here in this city in Fort Lauderdale. What shall we do with it? Our scripture today indicates that there are right and wrong actions. There are right ways for us to use the gifts that have been given to us, and there are wrong ways to use the gifts that have been given to us. And the fascinating thing that we see in our scripture this morning is that those wrong things are not inherently bad. Right? right. How, how does Mary use this expensive perfume? Let me read for you again verse 3. It says, Mary, or, excuse me, Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. She uses this gift extravagantly. She pours it out, and the whole house is filled with this fragrance. Can you imagine being there, the fragrance hitting your nostrils, almost stinging with intensity? Do you look on in astonishment? Do you look on in wonder and amazement? Do you look on in dismay? 
and despair as this woman pours out this thing worth thirty, forty thousand dollars all over this man's feet. I wonder what it was like the next time that these onlookers came into contact with this fragrance, perhaps years down the road, and transported immediately back into this place in this time, now having seen Jesus crucified, having seen Jesus resurrected, now understanding this action in a new way, in a new context, this thing that was happening before them. To many of us, Judas's response in verse 5 seems like a reasonable one. In verse 5, Judas asks a reasonable question. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Might you have asked the same question? I think I might have. And the gospel writer goes on to say, well, he had impure motives, but it doesn't matter. It's a reasonable question to ask, but Jesus doesn't equivocate. Jesus, right here, plainly says, leave her alone. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus doesn't for a moment entertain the possibility that this might have been the right thing. He says, no, leave her alone. Now, the fascinating thing, I think, that is going on here that we can miss is that Jesus is referencing a passage from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11 says, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Jesus references this scripture from the Old Testament that they would have been familiar with and then turns the phrase, there will be poor always, but you won't always have me. It's like if I were to say to you now, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that the gators might overcome the Georgia Bulldogs. (laughs) You would know exactly what I've done there. And Jesus' listeners would have known exactly what he was doing here. Jesus is saying, sure, there are poor. But he points out that there are competing values here. Yeah, feeding the poor is good. But here and now, something different is going on. Pay attention. By definition, uh, competing values cannot coexist. They compete with one another. Two distinct options on the table. Investing the perfume in the poor or pouring the perfume out for the anointing of his body. Both are good, but only one 
is God's purpose. Now, there may be a tendency for some of us to look at this and say how selfish of Jesus to say that it should be spent on him. But frankly, Jesus' behavior and teaching throughout the entire New Testament does not allow us that luxury. Again and again, he teaches that we need to minister to the poor, to the afflicted. Jesus demonstrates this in his behavior. We dare not say that Jesus does not care for the poor. Something else is going on. Something else in this unique situation and context makes Mary's choice the right one. Mary is aligning with God's purpose in this place and time. Friends, we have the same decisions ahead of us, both personally and corporately as a church. Now, there are an abundance of good options for how we will utilize the gifts that God has entrusted to us here. We must discern which option is not just a good option, but God's option. We must discern the appropriate time to deploy the appropriate gifts. In the 19th century, Michel Eugene Chevreul was a French chemist hired by the Gobelins Manufactory. Now, this was a factory that, that made tapestries, large woven wall hangings. And Mr. Cherval was hired in order to make sure that the dyes used to color the yarn for the tapestries were consistent, that they were perfect, that, that blue was always the same blue, that black was always the same black. But they began to receive complaints that black wasn't always black. And so puzzled, Mr. Chevreul went back to the formula and he looked at the dye. Chemically speaking, the dye was consistent every time. It was the same. Black should have been black. Chemically speaking, they were identical. And yet, the complaints continued until he discovered this. That when placing black next to blue versus black next to red, the black appeared different. He discovered that the way we perceive color is influenced depending on the colors that it's paired with. His contrasting color theory is now used by artists around the world. The color wheel. Context matters. And friends, the way we do ministry, the way we choose to deploy those gifts that have been given to us, context matters. The time and the place where we find ourselves. As Patrick pointed out to us last week, the ways of doing ministry in past decades was to address past problems. And so new ways are developed not because old ways are wrong, but because new problems arise. Context changes, colors change, and the way we perceive and do ministry needs to change as well. 
So what is that going to look like here? What does that look like in Fort Lauderdale, in a coastal city? What does that look like in a beach city where tourists arrive on a yearly basis? What does it look like here with a major port just to our south? What does it look like here in this city that is, that is wanting to grow by 30% in the next 10 years? What ministry opportunities are available to us now and here because of where we find ourselves, because of where God has placed us in this time, in this place, in this context. Friends, it's an exciting thing to begin to explore together because these are problems, these are things that we need to solve in community with one another, in conversation with one another, in conversation with Scripture, in prayer, as we continue to discern what God's purpose is here in this church now. As Jesus and his followers continued on their way to Jerusalem, they were sure that Jesus was arriving in Jerusalem at the festival of the Passover just in time to do something great, just in time to overthrow the Roman government. They could not begin to perceive that what Jesus had come to do was far larger than that, not save the people of Israel, but to save the entire world. God's purpose was bigger. Will we make the same mistake here? Do we believe that God's only purpose is to whisk us away to heaven one day at the end? and rescue us from this place. Perhaps God has saved us from sin and shame in order to join together with him in bringing heaven to earth. Perhaps God has saved us from sin and shame in order to join in with him in what he is doing here And now, I don't know, but let's find out together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.